Well, that's wonder. because we're doing dry January and our minds are very clear. <laughs> and then come the first week of February, we'll be like, oh, what the f- I don't know what the hell they're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Damn It, Jim, the podcast. My name is Dana Smith. And as always, sitting across from me by a few thousand miles is Dan Calzaretta. Good evening, Dan. Hey, Dana, you know, that actually brings up a good point. Before (laughs) the internet, before the ability to communicate over thousands of miles with video and audio, there's no way we could do this, right? This podcast. So I do appreciate- It would have been a phone call. Yeah. Oh God, can you imagine how horrible that would have been? Just horrible. Especially with the phone rates. Yeah. Remember when you had to pay for long distance phone calls? Hey, so another thing though, Dana, we're both doing dry January this year. Yeah. And that doesn't mean we don't take showers for a month. (laughs) Oh, that's not part of it? (laughs) (laughs) Now, I've never done this before, have you? Yeah, I've done it several years now. And what do you uh, get out of it? Pinker liver, I guess, you know, and and, uh, (laughs) a clearer brain. Uh And uh, yeah, just when things start coming into focus, I start drinking again in February. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And so we're about, what, week and a half into it now, 10 days as of this recording. It'll be interesting to see when dry January is over, if like I have any I have no desire to give up alcohol. I don't I don't have a problem with alcohol. Wait, isn't that the first, <laughs> yeah. the first indicator? Hmm. And I'm not I'm not making light of it. A lot of people have uh, issues with alcohol and they're very serious. And so I'm not making light of that. I'm doing it more just to see if I could do it. So thanks for all the comments on last week's episode, The Devil in the Dark. Uh, a lot of people like this episode, plot holes and all. People point out, same as you and I did, that uh, which which was the front, <laughs> which was the back, which was the brains. Maybe left a trail of little rocks on the floor so you knew that was the backside. I don't know. So. And then it would ha- also have to take a Schmidt every now and then. A Schmitter? Yeah, that's what I mean. <laughs> Hey, okay, this is going to be a ramble, Joe. I totally understand, but it has to do with a Schmitter. So uh, about a block away from us on our street, there's a house that's having some construction done on the inside, and they have one of those Porta Schmitters outside the house for the, you know, for the people doing the construction, and someone set it on fire. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was burning, so it could have been, I don't know, a very spicy meal gone bad, I suppose. <laughs> Yeah, someone lit it on fire. That's yeah. mean. Yeah, that's mean. Really mean. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't understand why. Just want to make it clear to all our listeners, it was not me. That never even crossed my mind that it could be you because you're just not that type of person. No, I wouldn't do that. But anyway, lots of comments on uh, our episode for Devil in the Dark. And thanks for all that. Dan, you said we had some YouTube comments as well. In uh, season one, episode four, The Naked Time, you may remember that someone got stabbed with a knife and died. King Mon commented commented that the man died from a butter knife. Even as a kid, I found that odd. Kingmon, thanks for that comment. For this side in paradise, J.D. Lewis writes that in this episode's first draft, it was supposed to be a Sulu love story. I love that we learn these things from our listeners, Dana. We have a very well-educated following. And then Everett G. Stook wrote about the episode The Galileo 7 that they weighed a lot less in the 1960s. 
days. I, I think Everett is referring to when we were talking about the weight and how much weight oh. they had to throw out the ship or something. Yeah, because then they say they had to be lighter by 800 pounds or something like that. And they said yeah. that was four grown men. Yeah. Thanks again for all the emails and messages, uh, YouTube and Facebook comments. Our fan base is definitely growing, Dan. And I think we were very lucky to have the great support that we do. So now, on to Errand of Mercy. So Starfleet sends a message, a coded message to the the Enterprise and says that they are in negotiations with the Klingon Empire and they're not going well. Starfleet expects a surprise attack. The Enterprise is ordered to go to Organia, a peaceful Class M planet in the disputed area. They're hoping that by going there, they can keep the uh, Klingons from using it as a base of operations. So, Dana, the other thing is that Spock refers to the planet as Class M, as you said, right? Uh, but then he said it's also Class D minus on the Richter scale of cultures. And I went back and listened to that a couple times to make sure I heard him right, that he said the Richter scale, which is used for earthquakes, right? Yeah. Maybe in the future they use it for everything. Maybe. They, yeah, maybe they do. <laughs> I, I just found it kind of odd. But yeah. to give it a D minus, man, that that's kind of harsh. That's not Spock's opinion. That's kind of the, the rating that's out there right? Yeah, that's right. It wasn't his opinion. And he goes on to explain that it has to do with the culture being somewhat primitive. They steer the ship towards Organia and uh, suddenly they are hit with magnetic pulses and rocks the whole ship. Kirk orders the phaser banks to lock on and return fire. And then they hit a Klingon ship. They say that there's uh, nothing left, just debris. Uhura reports that there's another Code 1 alert. Automatic all points relay from Starfleet Command Captain. Code one. Well, there it is. War. We didn't want it, but we've got it. Curious how often you humans manage to obtain that which you do not want. War with the Klingons has begun, and Kirk resolves to reach Organia before the hammer falls, as the trigger has now been pulled. Kirk leaves Sulu in command of the Enterprise. This is the first time Sulu is left in charge. Yeah, now, Dana, you know, when Kirk and Sulu were speaking to each other, I could only think about the dispute that Shatner and Takei are having right now. And really, that's gone on for decades and decades. It was kind of weird to think about that. It's kind of impossible these days to not see the two of them so close and not think about that. Right. Kirk tells Sulu to not attack should the Klingons show up. Kirk says that he and Spock are going to be down to the planet and he said and if they're attacked that they need to leave the area and return to Starbase and get help. He says Spock and I will be okay. Kirk and Spock beam down when they materialize, no one seems to take notice of them. There's like guy walking his goat and uh, <laughs> people walking right past them. Nobody even looks at them. It looked like they beamed into an episode of Game of Thrones. I mean, it was like a weird, yeah. you know, they were wearing this these weird kind of outfits, I guess, to make it look old, you know, primitive. The structure behind looked like an old castle or something. Oh, the castle. Just, and then, yeah, and then they look up on a hill and there's another castle with the steam rolling around right. on it and stuff. So looked like something from an old Dracula movie or something. I thought it looked like something out of Monty Python and the Holy Grail when they looked at Camelot. <laughs> 
that's what I thought. I immediately I thought, oh, that looks like it's out of Monty uh, Python. I didn't go there, but uh, now that you said that, I'd, I can easily see that. Yeah. It seems like, you know, 12th century, 13th century, maybe. And then after a moment, they're greeted by Aelborn. So uh, he's an older gentleman wearing a long robe and he welcomes them. But he tells Kirk, we don't have anyone in authority here. He says he is the chairman of the Council of Elders and he invites them to the council chambers. Aelborn agrees to Spock's request to look around the village and so he can get some tricorder readings. Kirk goes off with Aelborn and Spock kind of wanders around doing tricorder readings. When they're walking in the courtyard, right, and Spock goes off, did you notice the amount of livestock animals that were in the courtyard? Yeah, farm animals everywhere. I counted them, Dana. Because, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's what I do when I watch these shows. There were four goats and a bull. Wow. Yeah. And I'm wondering if that's the most number of farm animals in any episode of Star Trek, at least the original <laughs> series. Do you remember any other episodes with... There's got to be in other shows. There, there ha- yeah, there has to be. Yeah. Horses. Oh, definitely horses. Know. We saw that in Short Leave, right? The knight yeah. was on a horse. I know there's in future episodes, there's there's horses and things like that. So yep. cows, I'm sure. It's got to be. I would think so. Kirk tells the Organians at the Council of Elders that the Klingons will turn them into slave labor and that they need to build defenses. And they say they don't have any defenses and we don't need any. And Kirk gets kind of emotional. He's, he's about ready to go off the edge. And then he apologizes and says, I'm a soldier, not a diplomat. So is Kirk a soldier? Isn't the five-year mission a peaceful mission? Yeah, it is a peaceful mission. Yeah. I mean, you know, he kills a lot of people on the peaceful mission. Sure. But yeah. <laughs> it was all on the sake of friendship. Well, Dana, this, this really does bring up a debate that I have seen. Is the Federation an instrument of peace or is it a military organization? And military organization can be an instrument of peace. When he says, I'm a soldier, that yeah. just really stood out to me because I've never thought of the Enterprise as a ship of soldiers. But they do have like military ranks and insignias and that type of thing. But I, I see, I, I totally understand what you're saying though. And when they beam down and they take security guards with them, they don't take soldiers with them. Yeah. I guess you could look at it, the Federation might be akin to a United Nations peacekeeping force, right? They are military. They have weapons. They are called peacekeeping forces, yet they are military in nature. So I wonder if that's kind of the analogy here. It could be. So Spock shows back up with uh, Kirk at the Council of Elders, and he says the planet shows no development for more than 10,000 years. And Kirk tells them they can help remake their world. Okay, I got to stop again. Yeah. Where the fart is the prime directive? <laughs> isn't the prime directive? You don't interfere. And right away, Kirk's like, let me mold you into something I can use to destroy the Klingons with. (laughs) You're exactly right. We've talked about the Prime Directive before. And yeah, where is it? Yeah, I mean, the Prime Directive came out, it was like four or five episodes ago. Yeah. You'd think that they would have carried that into this. It it definitely was already part of Star Trek by the time this show was written. Yeah, that's a good question. Just from the writer's perspective, why wasn't it carried over? But from the perspective of the characters, it's like, or the world of Star Trek. Star Trek, what prime directive? <laughs> There's something in the prime directive that if uh, civilization hasn't reached warp capabilities, you're just supposed to pass them by. The Federation sent them there, even though they're like a D minus on the Richter scale. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's because they wanted something out of them, right? Yeah. So then Sulu reports that the uh, that several Klingon ships have appeared and they are all attacking. And he says, with the shields up, he can't beam up the Captain and Spock. Kirk tells him to follow orders and get out of there and return with reinforcements. One of the elders 
Trophane. These are some of the hardest to pronounce names we've come across yet. They are, but at least they, they're not like Schmitter. <laughs> so Trophane uh, starts saying that eight vessels are in strategic locations about the planet. Kirk looks at Spock and he says he can't confirm it, but it is logical. Then this old guy, Trophane, says 100 armed soldiers just beamed down. Kirk and Spock seem kind of amazed and they look at from Trophane to Avalor, Avalborn, Aeoborn, Edelweiss. Uh, <laughs> I haven't had a drink in I know. Like two that's, weeks. You'd that's think the I'd problem. To... That's the problem, Dana, is we have not had anything to drink. If we did, we just wouldn't give a shit. We'd just say it however we wanted to say it, and we'd probably say it differently several times during the podcast. And not even realize, yeah. <laughs> not even realize it. <laughs> Kirk and Spock seem fairly amazed and confused by Trefane's knowledge, and when they ask about it, they're told that he is quite intuitive. So the next thing we see is the Klingons marching through the city. The Organians provide Kirk and Spock with native clothing. Kind of look a little bit like uh, something out of Robin Hood, the old Robin Hood. Yeah, I got to stop you here right now, Dana, because this is the clothing. Okay. <laughs> Why is it that every television show, especially the older ones, whenever they wanted to show a society that was not technologically advanced, they put people in tights? For one thing, to make those tights, you have to be a, a somewhat technologically advanced to have the stretchy material, I would assume. I, I mean, why is that? I don't know. And how many times have we seen tights in Star Trek? Tights and jumpsuits. And jumps, yeah. But it, it, and it's just not a good look on Kirk or Spock, really. <laughs> Spock notes the Organians have taken their weapons. And Aelborn says he cannot return the weapons. Now, when did they get the weapons? I think uh, Kirk and Spock went to like a locker room, were changing. Okay. And they came in and, you know, took the weapons, oh, communicators okay. probably. I guess the idea is they <laughs> took the, the weapons and the communicators while they were changing. Is that the idea? That'd be my guess. I mean, would you leave that stuff out of your sight if you were getting changed? Maybe the Organians said, hey, you know, don't worry about your, your uniforms and your phasers and stuff. We'll take the uniforms and get them pressed, and we'll clean your phasers for you. <laughs> clean your phaser. <laughs> Talk about a full-service planet. Is that a phaser one or a phaser two? <laughs> I mean, it's just these things that probably as the average watcher of the show, this is why we do this podcast, listeners, because we can really get into the minutia of the show, and we can also like make stuff up, just make it up about what happens when you don't see things happening on the screen. That's one of the benefits probably of being a listener to the show that we do that heavy lifting for you. Yeah, very heavy. <laughs> so we we take you places you didn't know you wanted to go. So. <laughs> and afterwards you realize I didn't want to go there. <laughs> Just after the Organians tell Kirk and Spock that they cannot return their weapons to them, the uh, Klingons come barging in and they introduce Kirk as Barona and Spock is introduced as a Vulcan merchant dealing in Kivas and Trillium. Kor, who's this kind of Genghis Khan looking Klingon guy, introduces himself as the new military governor of Organia. So he didn't waste any time setting up shop and putting himself in charge. Yeah, that's right. We are now here and we've taken over. So he, he looks at the Council of Elders and they're all looking at him peaceful and smiling. And he looks at Kirk and Kirk looks a little bit pissed off perhaps. And Kor asks Kirk, where's your smile? Kirk says, says I don't have anything to smile about or something like that. Then Kor thinks that uh, Spock is a spy since Vulcans are members of the Federation. And he orders his group to take him for questioning. Kirk protests. What about Mr. Spock? You are concerned. He is my friend. 
You have a poor choice of friends. He will be examined. If he is lying, he will die. If he is telling the truth, he will find that business has taken a turn for the worse. A little bit later in Kor's office, a guard brings Spock back, and he says he is what he claims to be. Kor asks Kirk if he'd like to try the Mind Sifter, or the Mind Ripper, depending on how much force is used. He says when too much force is used, the subject becomes more vegetable than human. And this is what they just used on Spock, right? Yeah, and they said something, the guard says we used like a level four. So then Spock and Kirk are walking around the village and Kirk bumps into a Klingon and right away Kirk is ready to fight. But Spock steps between the two and apologizes profusely. And then uh, the Klingon pushes Spock back into Kirk and again Kirk is ready to fight. After the Klingon leaves, Spock says, I strongly suggest we direct our energies toward the immediate problem, accomplishing our mission here. You didn't really think I was going to beat his head in, did you? I thought you might. You're right. Which was a great little line there. But it was funny because, I mean, you could just see Kirk was just itching to like get into a fight. Yeah, he was going to go after that guy for sure. And it wouldn't have turned out well. You know, I mean, literally there's hundreds of Klingons around there. Right. So. Yeah, it wouldn't end well for Kirk. Although we might have gotten a ripped shirt out of it. I don't know. Yeah, there is that. Or a dead crewman for that matter. <laughs> <laughs> and then the end of Star Trek as we know it. So Kirk and Spock discuss ways that they can throw the Klingons off their game. They mentioned that they spotted a munitions dump. Now that munitions dump, Dana, was in a very bad location. I mean, normally, I only know this from watching war movies, okay? So my my knowledge is probably pretty limited. But it's like you would set the munitions dump away from like the city center and you would surround it so that no one could just like go right up to it. What, I mean, wouldn't you think that's logical? Yeah, that would make a lot of sense. I know a lot of times they'd put it towards the edge of town, something where they could keep an eye on it. And mm-hmm. uh, But if it blew up, wouldn't hurt the occupiers. Anyway, they find a Klingon grenade and toss it into one of these multi colored boxes and then they start counting and start running yeah and then like on two it blows up <laughs> and uh so and it really just goes sky high does a looks like a lot of damage and the next thing we see is kirk is in front of the elders and he's taking credit for the explosion as he should and the elders are shocked such violence you know they say and he says you destroyed and they're just like everything they just seem stunned mm-hmm. by kirk's actions and kirk says you don't have to be sheep, you can be wolves. And Aylborn asks that they never do this again. Kirk says... Because you have no backbone? <laughs> yeah, Kirk is really dismissive of these people. And again, it's, you know, sheep and wolves. And apparently sheep are everywhere in the universe. So everybody knows what it means to be a sheep. Yeah, and a wolf. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't seen a wolf, but I'm sure they just know, you know, yeah. automatically. Yeah, right. Then we see that Cora has been listening to this conversation. Okay, it, I, I, it's I, hold kind on of a second, funny. Dana. I got <laughs> yeah. Do you have a problem with this too? Yeah, the box is like the size of a shoebox up on the wall (laughs) with a a really bright light coming out of it (laughs) yeah what doesn't fit in this room yeah (laughs) i totally got candles are burning and torches and stuff and then you've got this electronic piece of equipment i totally agree i i saw the same thing and i was just wondering oh man i think dana's gonna pick up on this too this is not this is just So obvious. When they pull back, I never saw where it was when they pulled back. Right. They just show like a close up of it. So maybe it was like under the desk. I don't know, but it looked like it was a camera, right? Yeah. And so if, if it was under the desk, it would just be looking up the, you know, the, the robes <laughs> the of, skirts the, of the old men. Of the old men. <laughs> well, Klingons are a different breed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Kor comes in and he says he will kill Kirk and Spock. And Aelborn tells Kor who Kirk is. And Kor is just as excited about having the captain of a starship as his prisoner. And he, he had heard of Kirk too, didn't he? Yeah. And then Aelborn says, for some reason, he feels he must destroy you. Talking from Kirk to Kor. Mm-hmm. And he says, just as you feel, you must destroy him. And this seems completely bizarre to Aelborn. And he's not saying it in a condescending way. He's saying it in a way that truly is like baffling to him. Yeah. So, you know, they take Kirk and Spock off and in Kor's office, Kor offers Kirk a drink and Kirk refuses and Kirk is sitting with his arms crossed and Kor is acting really casual, tells Kirk that they are very much alike. We're nothing like you. We're a democratic body. Come now, Captain. I'm not referring to minor ideological differences. I mean that we are similar as a species. Predators, hunters, killers. And it is precisely that which makes us great. And Kirk says, go climb a tree. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently they have trees on the Klingon home planet. And sheep. And some sheep, too. And so then he gives them 12 hours to tell him the information about Starfleet. And then he throws Kirk and Spock into a cell. Now, wouldn't you have them separated, Dana? And the whole 12-hour <laughs> thing, we've seen this before. It's its its a trope, right? It's in a lot of different shows. They're always going to give someone some amount of time. And it's always yes. just the right amount of time for that person to figure out how to screw up whatever the plans are of the other person. So yeah, why not just give him five minutes? Look, you got five minutes. You got one minute. Yeah, that I'm going to put you in the brain scrambler. The, it was like, no, I think they did. I think they referred to it as the mind schmitter. <laughs> See, we're getting that joke in a few more times in this episode. <laughs> the mind schmitter is also known as Jägermeister. So that's what they're really doing is make him drink Jägermeister. <laughs> oh my God, that would do it, wouldn't it? So Kirk and Spock discuss how they can disrupt the Klingon some more. And Spock says, there's no way out of the cell. The walls are very thick. And then Spock says they have about six hours left. Just as Spock says they have about six hours left, the door gets unlocked and Kirk and Spock get ready to act. They kind of run over the side like they're going to jump whoever comes in. And then Aelborn enters and he asks if they're ready to go. Aelborn says, says he came to take them away and keep them safe. And then Spock asks, what happened to the guards? And Aelborn says, nothing. Nothing happened to them at all. Nothing at all. So uh, next thing we see is a Klingon guard comes into Kor's office and he explains that Kirk and Spock have escaped. He says, no one was at fault and Kor is just outraged. And Kor says, execute special occupation order four. And it was on a sheet of paper like. It was on a sheet of paper that they were going to post was kind of the idea right around town. (laughs) So bear with me a second. Okay, let's go. Let's do it. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> the Klingons are very advanced, fly through space. They've got weapons. Yeah. They've got communicators. Mm-hmm. And they're writing notes on like some kind of fuck lambskin or something <laughs> that post around town. It did look like that. You're right. <laughs> They couldn't just like put it on the big view screen, make an announcement, but no, give me a quill in my ink well and Mm -hmm. uh, fetch me a sheepskin to write on. Yeah, that's a good point. And that they're writing it in English. Yeah, which was awful nice of them. It was nice. It was nice of them. (laughs) 
everybody knows that along with sheep on every planet, the rest of the universe also speaks and reads English. Right. So. Right. Except, Dana, uh, in the episode with the Gorn arena, yeah. where they have the universal translator, which again, I think is a great device. Love the concept. And obviously we have those now yeah. in all of our smartphones. I'm glad that uh, I found that on my phone that I can do that in case a Gorn comes. I want to be able to have a conversation <laughs> with them. Because the Gorn are coming for you. You make so much fun of the Gorn on this show. <laughs> Uh, is that gornophobia? That's a- You're going to be gorn with the wind. God, these are bad jokes. Really bad. <laughs> it would sound so much funnier if we were not in dry January, Dana. Hopefully our <laughs> listeners are not following dry January. Yeah. Uh, they were. They're not anymore. So that's about halfway through the show. They're, they're heading towards the liquor cabinet. So. <laughs> so how's dry January going for you? Oh, it was going great until I listened to this podcast last night. Oh, what was it? Damn it, Jim, the podcast. Pretty soon it starts showing up on like a social network, you know, podcast drives multiple people to break dry January. <laughs> well, we wanted fame. You know, right, infamous yeah. is another kind of fame. Yeah, so. that's true. <laughs> Back in the elders' chambers, Kirk and Spock are asking questions of the elders and Aelborn says, violence to us is unthinkable. A moment later, Kor announces that they just killed 200 Organians. Kirk goes to uh, the council and says, didn't you hear them? Aelborn says, nothing has changed and Kirk demands to get the phasers. Kirk and Spock leave, go out the door. Spock tells Kirk that their chances of getting out of there approximately 7,824.7 to 1. 7,824 to 1? 7,824.7 to 1. That's a pretty close approximation. I endeavor to be accurate. You do quite well. So we go back to the elders' chambers and they say it has begun. They close their eyes and say, be prepared. And then Aelborn kind of raises his arms up like he's going to do a magic trick or something. (laughs) (laughs) And then uh, we see Spurk. (laughs) Spurk? (laughs) We see Spurk and Kirk. (laughs) (laughs) That's just, that's just, you combine the two of them and make the show go faster. If I just. (laughs) Kind of like a spork. Give them one name. Yeah. The Spork. The Spork. <laughs> we see the Spork coming down the hall. <laughs> I wonder whoever who invented the spork. Do you have any clue? Like, where did that start? I thought I always thought it was Colonel Sanders because you always get a spork with uh, oh, a Kentucky, mashed potatoes, like Kentucky and, Fried Chicken. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Sorry. I um just looked up who invented the spork. You are going to be shocked by this because I'm shocked. Take a guess at the year it was invented. 1920. 1874. Dana. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, there was a patent. It had been made out of wood. Well, no, they had metal in the <laughs> or 1800s. Metal. Yeah, but <laughs> it was a weapon. <laughs> yeah, you, know, you want to spork this disposable, right? <laughs> the 1874 patent drawing for what we call the spork was made by Samuel W. Francis, who is an esteemed member of the upper crust, but he was also the type of eccentric who looked at a spoon and a fork and thought, Hmm, this is one too many utensils. In 1951, Hyde W. Ballard trademarked the word spork. The utensil quickly became a hit, especially with Kentucky Fried Chicken. So there you go. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah, this is pretty cool. See, there you go. That is a ramble that actually maybe is edifying more than the podcast we're doing. I'm not sure. (laughs) 
So we see Kirk and Spock coming down the hall and in in Kor's office. Kor says the Federation fleet is approaching and the Klingon fleet is waiting to greet them. The Klingons burst into the room and everyone prepares to fire phasers, but they they drop their weapons as if they're hot. When they go to fight, they're kind of repulsed. They they can't seem to, like, if they touch one another, they seem like their things are hot. Yeah, like they're getting burned almost, right? Yeah, and so there's, they're unable to battle. And then we go up to the bridge of the Enterprise and we see everyone jumps back from their controls as if they were burned. Aelborn and another elder enter the room and apologize. They say, we cannot permit you to harm yourselves. Kirk and Kor are both shocked. So Kirk and Kor both approach Aelborn and he says that he stands before Kirk and Kor. He also stands on the respective homeworlds. He says, both sides must agree to cease hostilities or their armed forces will be immobilized. So Kirk is saying at this time that nobody wants a war, but at the same time, he's pretty annoyed that the war has been interrupted. Kirk and Kor argue that they have the right to wage war. And Aelborn finally says, to wage war, Captain? To kill millions of innocent people? To destroy life on a planetary scale? Is that what you're defending? So Aelborn tells them that in the future, their races will eventually become fast friends. And this is my favorite part. Claymore says, We do not wish to seem inhospitable, but gentlemen, you must leave. The mere presence of beings like yourselves is intensely painful to us. We have moved beyond the need of physical bodies. What you see now is a mere appearance. They glow like this bright white and the light blinds everyone. The spot where Aelborn and Claymore were standing comes back down to like two smaller dots and then they disappear. Spock says, Fascinating, pure energy, pure thought, totally incorporeal. Not life as we know it at all. So back on the Enterprise, Kirk seems kind of perplexed, unhappy. He admits to Spock that being embarrassed, that he was furious with the Organians from preventing a war with the Klingons. Kirk tells Spock that they often think of themselves as the most powerful force in the universe. It's unsettling to find out they ultimately are not. Spock comments that they have no reason to be embarrassed. It took millions of years for the Organians to evolve into what they are now. And Spock points out that even the gods did not come into being overnight. Spock says at least they beat the odds in not dying on the planet. And Kirk tells Spock he is wrong. The Organians raided the game. But that's how the show ends, right? Yeah. Another good episode. So Dana, what were some themes or dilemmas that you saw in this episode? This is interesting, Dan. I, I, I thought about this quite a bit. What we see is Kirk waging guerrilla warfare against the Klingons. It's a different way of fighting, but it was a way to disrupt their processes. For a dilemma, this is not the way Kirk wants to fight a battle, but he wants to win at any cost. Is he desperate to save the Organians, or is he just desperate to have a war? Which is not what we'd expect, but in, throughout the show, you get the sense that he is ready to go to war, to fight to the death. There wasn't going to be any kind of conversation or negotiation. Well, he said he was a soldier and not a diplomat, right? Yep. How about you, Dan? What do you have for a dilemma or a theme for this? Well, it also has to do with war. It actually relates to what was going on in the 60s. So these proxy wars that the United States was having against the Soviet Union, specifically in Southeast Asia. I kind of saw this as a comment on how the superpowers of the time, the United States and the Soviet Union, were fighting wars, but not really directly with each other. They were arming other countries to fight. Because if these major powers went to war, the United States and the Soviet Union, they could end up destroying 
each other, completely destroying each other. Nobody wins that war. No, no one wins that war. And in these proxy wars, the real losers are the countries who are pitted against each other. I kind of see this episode as a comment on what was happening at the time. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the Klingons have always been kind of the Soviet Union to the Federation being the U.S. Right. Dan, what are uh, some of the best parts of the show for you? I thought one of the best parts was the episode opening on Sulu. And he actually becomes the commander of the ship while Kirk and Spock are gone. Sulu being put in charge of the Enterprise. I I love that part. How about for you? Uh, The Klingons. I think they're great villains. Overall, their whole philosophy and everything just is awesome. (laughs) Yeah. Just, it's so, it's, it's the, everything is contrary to the Federation. Do you have any other good points for the show? Best parts? I really liked the Organians' distaste for violence and their contempt for both the humans and the Klingons. And you had mentioned this where Trefane is just almost exuding this disgust and contempt for the humans and the Klingons wanting to fight with each other. Just their mere presence was like offensive to the Organians. Anyway, I really liked that part. I thought it was really, really good. How about for you, another best part? The scene where Kirk wants to kick some Klingon ass. <laughs> it's just uh, he's just so ready. He's like a hair trigger. You know what I mean? Just ready to go off. It was fun. Yeah. How about uh, one of the worst parts for you? The makeup on some of the Klingons I thought was really bad. Other than Kor, I, you know, I thought his makeup was better. Having seen The Next Generation and the Star Trek movies, we can understand what really good makeup looks like. And so I just found it to not be very believable. Dana, how about a worst part for you? For me, the big thing, no McCoy, no Scotty. Mm-hmm. And I think this is the last episode, uh, the whole series, where McCoy's not in it. Oh, really? I believe that's true. Good, because he's awesome. Dana, what fascinating and wonderful things were happening on this day in history? Uh, oddly enough, this is, uh, it's not oddly enough that it was March 23rd, 1967, but on that date, NASA halted further training for three scheduled U.S. manned space missions and disbanded their three-member crews pending an overhaul of the Apollo program in light of the January 27th fire that killed the astronauts of Apollo 1. Musically, in the USA, the song Happy Together by the Turtles uh, was number one. And three weeks in a row, Engelbert Humperdinck was number one in the UK with Release Me. Yeah, I wish they'd release him permanently because that song, <laughs> my God, it is horrible. Engelbert Humperdinck's still alive? I believe he is. Huh. Maybe he'll be on the show. Can you imagine? <laughs> yeah. People wouldn't be able to tell the difference between a senile old man and us. So. <laughs> uh, he's 86 years old. Oh, he's alive. Okay. Don't see that he's on tour. In what nursing home is is he? Uh, Is he English or American? I don't even know. He's English. Okay, good. Keep him. They need to keep um, him. This didn't happen March 23rd, but I thought it was noteworthy. March 25th, 1967, Martin Luther King Jr. declared in a speech in Chicago that we must combine the fervor of the civil rights movement with the peace movement and expanded his outreach to an audience to all people living in poverty beyond African Americans. An amazing, amazing human being. You can say that, yeah. An amazing, an amazing human being. Uh, special side note, he did keep uh, Uhura in the show by telling her that she was a great role model for African-Americans. That's right. When we did our tribute to Nichelle Nichols, we had that quote from her, actually the audio uh, from her, where she talks about that amazing story. Okay, Dan, we're down to our uh, list. Yeah, so our counts today, Dana, you know, it's kind of a mixed bag, but how many dead crewmen 
unless somebody died in the initial attack on the Enterprise and zero. I was listening specifically for that. And I'm glad you brought that up. I, I'm assuming they would have said if anyone was dead. So no dead crewmen in this episode. So we are still at 26.5. How about a shirtless Kirk ripped shirt Kirk count? Zero. He didn't even get in a fight. Yeah, the, the Organians went and let him. Not really. Yeah. Those Organians keeping him from getting his shirt ripped. Okay, so we are at nine on that. How about the he's dead count? Uh, that's zero, and there was no McCoy to even say it. And I think it has to be McCoy that says that. It does. Yep, so zero, Dana, so we're stuck at three. I'm a doctor, not a fill-in-the-blank. Uh, zero yep. as well. Again, McCoy was not on the show. Yep, not this time, so we're stuck at two. So we're going to talk a little bit about this one, Dana, the supreme being count. I don't know what your thoughts are on this, but uh, these guys are pretty supreme. They've got one foot on uh, Organia and one foot in, uh, on the Klingon planet and one foot on, the, uh, on Earth, and so that makes them three legs, which makes them unusual to begin with. What do you think, Dan? I think they're supreme beings. They, they have to be. Yep, I agree with you, Dana. So that means we have one for this week with a total of five. So that's, that's what, a quarter of the episodes we've done? Because this is episode 26. It's a fifth of the five, ten, a fifth, 15, 20, 20. 25. Well, that math hasn't so quite yeah. gotten better with this dry January. <laughs> Maybe next week. <laughs> next week. <laughs> it's going to be so much better. <laughs> well, speaking of next week, Dana, what is the episode we've got coming up? It's the alternative factor. All right. Well, once again, Dana, fantastic time hanging out with you, talking about Star Trek, and enjoy the rest of your week, Dana. Dan, always a blast, uh, even if we don't have dead crewmen and uh, ripped shirts. Yeah. And thanks again to our listeners for all the uh, messages we're getting. Until we meet again, live long and prosper. Thanks once again for listening to Damn It Jim, the podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Please send us an email at dammitjimpodcast at gmail.com or join the discussion on Facebook or Twitter. Make sure to join the guys next week for The Alternative Factor. Until then, have a great week and make sure to live long and prosper. Prosper.